Hear the word of God from Psalm 34, so you can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. This is a psalm of David regarding the time he pretended to be insane in front of Abimelech, who sent him away. I will praise the Lord at all times. I will speak constantly his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. I prayed to the Lord, and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation I prayed, and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his godly people. For those who fear him will have all they need. Even strong, young lions sometimes go hungry. But those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. Come, my children, and listen to me, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. Does anyone want to live a life that is long and prosperous? Then keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. His ears are open to their cries for help. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. He will erase their memory from the earth. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirit, spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. For the Lord protects the bones of the righteous. Not one of them is broken. Calamity will surely destroy the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be punished. But the Lord will redeem those who serve him. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. One of the things that we've been doing here at Waypoint in our series in the book of Psalms is we've been inviting people to come up and share a story, share a testimony, share a little bit about themselves as an opportunity for us to get to know them, also as an opportunity for the message of what we're hearing about to kind of be hammered in. And so today we're blessed. I want to introduce you to the Musasa family, and they're going to come up and they're, share, they're going to share a little bit about their story, and um, we're going to do that right now. Guys, welcome them up here, guys. So for starters, would you guys introduce yourselves and tell us who, who everybody is and uh, just a little bit quickly about where you're from? Yes, uh, morning church. <clears throat> my name is Musa Sampenga. Uh, this is my wife, Denise, and my son, Rodrigo Musasa, and my second born, Joshua Musasa. We are originally coming from the Republic Democratic of Congo. And we flee our home, from our home country to South Africa due to civil war, which led to, of, to millions of lives being lost. 
and women and young girls being raped and young men taken by force to the rebel groups. So she can continue. So um, Denise, if you don't, if you don't mind just uh, telling us, just sharing with us a little bit of your journey, um, how you came here to the uh, United States, but also how you came to Waypoint Church. Okay. Um, are we coming to the United States? Uh, we came as refugees. Close up nice and close like that. Okay, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah, um, we came as refugees. Um, as Musasa said, we left Congo in the year probably 1996 um, at the onset of the war, um, presumably between the um, different groups um, that everybody is aware of and things that are going on there till today. Um, basically what happens in the Congo is that um, there's, a, there's a lots of tribes, um, 400, and, 400 and more and tribes. And from time to time, those tribes have come to war against each other, but it has not been a war such as is going on right now. Um, this, this one is presumably between um, the Tutsi group and the non-Tutsi. That's the two divisions. Um, I happen to be from a mother who is of a Tutsi origin, and my dad being from the other side. And um, um, the war going on between the two sides, you're left to the question, which side do I go to? Um, do I stay with my mom? Do I stay with my dad? But unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Um, you're already labeled as like you kind of left in between. So these ones will go to that side within their group, and the other side they go within their groups, and you're left stranded. So you're kind of viewed as an enemy to either groups or a traitor by both groups. Um, as a result, uh, my family, which was very well known in the area, had to be separated on the basis of what we looked like. Um, I have brothers who look completely like Tutsi, and I have those who look like my dad, and then I have more like um, the non-Tutsi morphology, because many people think I'm from the Kenya <laughs> here. And um, mm -hmm. I bear a Rwandan name and a Congolese name. Um, that's something that I could not delete. Um, even though it has been a question a few times, which one do I take? I decided to trust God and be who I am. Yeah, um, well, at some point I had to leave Congo and went to a neighboring country, Burundi, and that is where, um, I met, that's where I met my husband. And his family was also living there as refugees and we had to leave Burundi. Um, then I was working in Burundi and going to school. And one day, because in Burundi there's also war going on, but it was a different war not targeting me. So it was a better place, uh, even though there was war. 
And in Burundi, there were cases of rapes, and um, we lived in a place called Bumonge. It's like a 72 kilometers from Bujumbura. And every day, people go from that place to the capital city for provision of industrial stuff. So in that place, women get, like, as you travel on that road, every day they can get you, rape you, take girls as um, sex slaves, and stuff like that, and so on. So I had to leave for safety again to South Africa because it was a place where I could study and work without having to depend on my parents. Um, and then we met, and my husband met, and when we got to South Africa again, we were together, and we decided to start a family because we didn't know anyone, and we didn't want to uh, just live, continue living like that. That's how we got married. As a result, we have Rodrig and Joshua. And um, what happened is that we lived there for 14 years as refugees. And until 2008, when the xenophobic attacks started, and um, other African people were targeted by refugees in particular, and then lots of other atrocities were suffered by black Africans in South Africa, and, um, and even the government, like things like giving you a permit or extending your status became problems and they required money. And if you insisted that you're not gonna bribe, you'll basically go through trouble. So um, the UNHCR had enough, and they decided to move some refugee families from South Africa. And we were the first group of refugees um, that were taken out of South Africa. And they said, you're going to a place you don't know. And I was told that we're going to the United States. I said, well, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, because I had Joshua um, who had just undergone surgery and he usually got sick anytime he got exposed to a cold. In Cape Town it's cold, but it's not as cold as the United States. So <laughs> they say, you're going to the United States? I say, I don't think so. Uh, why is that? And I say, it's too cold for my son. I don't want to <laughs> lose him. And then they say, you sure you don't want to go? Because when they came, they had not said that it's a resettlement. They just said, because uh, I was very much involved in refugee projects and stuff, and I was among some who could speak English. So if anything, they were coming looking for stuff, uh, finding, trying to find out what are the refugees' lives like in South Africa. So I said, okay, I'll go and tell you my story. And then um, two meetings down the line, they said it's a resettlement. I said, I didn't know. I never thought of leaving Africa before. And they say to me, um, well, if you don't want to go to the United States because of cold, give us time. We'll come back to you. Then they went and called us a few months down the line and said that, well, we, we have found the best place for you to go. But at that time, it was not clear why. And then they said, it's uh, in, in North Carolina. I said, where? They say, in Durham. I said, I've never heard of that place. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I had never heard of, of Durham. I, had, I knew Raleigh because we studied the United States and the different states and the capitals. We, I knew Raleigh. And then I asked, is it like Raleigh or something? They said, no, it's Durham. I said, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, then we started looking around Durham and trying to find out what happens in Durham. And it was all scary stuff. If you check on the internet, it's so scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I said, no, I don't think, I don't think we're going. <laughs> then um, we, we, we went home. Uh, we had not prayed until this time. And then we started praying and said, God, do you want us to go to this place? And the only thing that, the only verse that kept coming was trust in the Lord and uh, with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Um, and then we said, okay, trust in the Lord. So we had a few American friends and I had worked with some Americans because I worked with the Hope Worldwide South Africa. Um, it's based here, but we had their work in South Africa too. And I had friends, like exchange programs. So there were girls, two girls from here that we had hosted when we had not thought of being coming to America. And then Roderick, they, once we had pictures with them and we had gone to the aquarium, they were wearing UNC t-shirts. And they say, yeah, we we got to UNC, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> and then Roderick realized, no, UNC, this is where Mora and, um, and, uh, and, uh, and Sydney came from. I'm like, really? Yeah. So we called him, like, are you guys from here? I'm like, yeah, this is where we came. And, and the Sydney's from Raleigh and now lives in Oregon, and then we have Mora, and he's like, are you guys over here? And they used to call Roderick Donkey, because he talked too much. He's <laughs> 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 like, yeah, we cannot wait to see Donkey. I'm like, yeah, he's a big man now. So um, that was the only people we knew here. And then um, we were really all on our own, and as we said, because of the our origins, there's two groups here too. There's Congolese refugees here, but unfortunately, even as refugees, um, they still identify as what happened during this war. So we still try not to be in anybody's camp, because of course you're in between, but also it makes it hard to relate to people truthfully and kind of be family. So we were really alone during that time. And I had a neighbor who's from Kenya, um, uh, Abigail, and that was all we had as a close friend. And then they were leaving to uh, Virginia. And then I, we really felt down again. It felt like this is it again. And that's when she introduced us to Kali. And a few days down the line, while we were waiting to meet Carly, Joshua had a big accident, fell from the balcony. <laughs> yes, fell from the second floor down. And that night is when we met Carly. She came to us, uh, of course, not knowing what's going to happen to his bones. Again, the comfort comes from the fact that none of his bones, all his bones will remain intact. I said, thank God. And then, of course, it's a stressful time. There comes Kali from nowhere. Guys, I came to see you. I heard that this has happened. 
And if uh, that family, and she gave us a blanket, it was a cold night, she gave us a blanket that to this day I can tell you I've hidden, <laughs> in, <laughs> I've hidden in my suitcase. I don't even want anything to mess with that blanket. Um, it's very African thing when you give somebody a, a, a mosquito net to protect them against the cold, against the mosquitoes, they hide that mosquito net because they don't want to mess with it. So it's not serving the purpose, but it's very much treasured <laughs> the way it is. <laughs> yeah, so um, Joshua, then we met Carly, and then Carly introduced us to this church. And this has been a church that where we first felt like we had family. Of course, where we got he when we got here, we, went to, we lived at Oak Creek. Our first night was horrible where it was spring, the apartment building, the, the windows were broken, there were insects everywhere, terrible apartment. And Joshua and everybody else, we were really stressed, but the children were even more stressed that they're living in this kind of place. And um, first Joshua's first impression was, um, he asked the caseworker, where is this? The person, the caseworker says, this is your place. And Joshua had just woken up. He said, this is not where I was going. I was going to America. <laughs> Why did you bring me here? And then, um, of course, in Africa, America is big. And um, we come from Cape Town. Cape Town is beautiful. And <laughs> we come from a distant place, and then you brought into a place that looks like this. And Joshua's like, I don't think this is where we were coming from. Mm -hmm. And we started feeling like, I don't think this is right. And then again, trust in the Lord <laughs> and lean not in your own understanding. So um, from time to time, we had to be reminded of that and had to acknowledge him and that he will direct our paths. As it went slowly, um, but a very long time, we had Trace and, and Lise we call teacher Lee's <laughs> Yeah, um, they started helping us with the children because it was hard for us to go to work and leave them alone. And we had to start looking for money to pay rents. And we had neighbors who pull out their guns and put them out at the table in front of our door when they're having a conversation. And we were very scared. We were even scared to leave the children or even let them play outside. So, um, and Joshua kept on asking me, but this guy doesn't have clothes. Um, how, and he, he usually stayed naked, but he will have his gun like showing. So Joshua and I said to him, his mom probably didn't buy him clothes. And he said, and, but how come she bought him a gun <laughs> if, <it didn't, laughs> if she didn't buy him clothes? So um, it was kind of scary. And then, thank, bless God for Liz, who will open the door every day, because uh, I, I used to go to work and come back like at an interval before they, uh, after they've come from school. And they would go to Liz's house until we fetched them and brought them home. Um, and then school started, and Roderick, who, when he had just gotten here, were talking about school, was well, like, worried about things that were happening at school. Roderick started, now he kept quiet, 
and then I learned that he was getting into trouble at school too. And I'm like, oh, this is not what we came here for again. And again, trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. And again, um, it was a few months down the line that um, we had um, uh, Uncle Tom, I'm not sure if he's here. Yeah, Tom Dalek. he went and uh, found a place for us. He was like, I found a place for you guys. You can move into, and it's a better schools and all that. We were like, wow, just like that. <laughs> and then, yeah, they went to, then we moved immediately, and they went to now better schools, and now they're in better school system, and we thank God for that. As to what really are we thankful for? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> Everything. The fact that we are alive is a miracle, because more than six million people have died where we come from, and lots of them are living in horrible conditions right now. We thankful to be alive more than anything else. Um, I've had a disturbed childhood where we had to move. I've been through three wars, the one in Congo, the one in Burundi, and part of the one in Rwanda. And I'm still here. We have Musasa as well. We, of course, our children were born in South Africa and they were not exposed to war. But um, being living in South Africa and never being able to call it home was always a problem on the back of our minds. So this is a chance for us to start life over. Living in America, you get your papers delivered to your door and they like you have a permanent citizenship now, or your permanent residence, you get to go and apply for citizenship, been in South Africa for 40 years, whether A4 format kind of identity, where you go look for work, they're like, is this, we need an ID, and you say, this is my ID, like, hmm, this big, <laughs> yeah, but here it's, I go to, I go to somewhere and they ask me, give me your ID, and I pull it out of my purse, I cannot believe that I have an ID, yes. Um, your driver's license, you just go there and apply for it, really, just like that, it's, this is something you cannot just do. The way we come from and our children get to go to school every day they don't get to get go and hide in a bush somewhere for two months and restart again over with school when it's quiet we're really grateful for that um as for being at home uh, at um waypoint we're just grateful for a family structure one where we don't feel judged one where we feel welcome and um, getting hugs, very important for me. <laughs> getting free hugs, um, yeah, very important. And a place where I can say, hey, um, Trace, please pray for this. And he won't start thinking of why is she, why is she looking for prayers, you know, something like that. Um, that's basically a very long answer to your question. That's, that's a great answer to the question. You guys, you guys can sit down. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. That was great. <laughs> what a blessing it is, church, to hear such a testimony. So thank you so much.
You know, one thing that I heard over and over again in that story was this idea of longing for a home because being a refugee and not being able to call South Africa your home, longing for family. And I think it's a common theme that we experience in this earth. We want to feel home. We want to feel family um, even as much as we can in this time where this is actually not our home. And so I want to just say thank you so much for what a, a testimony of God's goodness. Uh, people who trusted in, uh, in, in the Lord and he made, made your path straight for you. And so it's just a wonderful story. Thank you so much. Here's what I want us to do today. Um, before I kind of dive into some of the stuff I want to talk about in the, out of the psalm, I want to do this. A few weeks back, we preached on a psalm of lamentation, and we heard a testimony of lament. And this idea of lament was one where we showed in the book of Psalms that it showed a whole range of human emotion. And in this showing of the whole range, I hope you, got, you made it clear to all of you that it's okay to feel the whole range of human emotion. That it's not bad to feel lament. It's not bad to feel sorrow. It's not bad to be sad and brokenhearted. I also want you to know, though, it's not bad to be thankful for little victories. It is not bad to celebrate. It is not bad to be like, oh, I just got a promotion, woohoo! You know, it's not bad, my team won, yay! But don't get too excited about that, because I've learned in my life, I can become an idol real quick. It's not bad to, to, to dance, it's not bad to celebrate, it's not bad to be like, oh yeah, that happened, yeah, give me one of these, you know? It's not bad to have a happy dance. It's not bad to weep. And so last, a few weeks back, we wept with each other. We shared lament and we prayed for those who were weeping. Can we celebrate together today a little bit? How's that sound? Here's what I want us to do. If you're here, and I, if, you, if you don't mind, can we celebrate as family? That's one of my favorite things, guys. When I get good news, my fa- one of the things I want to do immediately is just call Gina. Right? If I got good news, the first thing I'm like, I can't wait to tell Gina. I can't wait to tell Gina. Yeah, I can't wait to tell my family. I can't wait to celebrate. I can't wait to be like, even if Josiah won't even understand, I'm like, I got a cupcake because I want you to celebrate with me, Josiah. And he'd be like, cupcake! You know? Because I want him to experience it with me. I want us to celebrate together because I think this is why, if you look at the Psalms, it's for corporate worship. So th- Psalms of Thanksgiving is literally people coming together being like, woohoo! And these are, here's what I love. The way uh, my professor, Mark Vitale, divided up the Psalms, there's Psalms of praise, but specifically he created a category called Psalms of Thanksgiving, where literally it's for those Thanksgiving Psalms where for something immediately happened. You know, there's instances where like, God, I prayed for this and you did this. Yes. And there's instances where I asked for you to rescue me and out of the pit you took me out. You know, there's instances where I was encamped by army and they were going to attack me, but you rescued me from it. So I was a praise with word, God, you did all this throughout all of history, throughout all the time, we'll praise you for it. But sometimes it's okay, it's good to celebrate those immediate victories. And it's good to do it as a family together because you encourage one another, give each other hope. And guys, the last thing I want is ever for that to lead to jealousy. You're like, oh, great, you got another promotion. Well, here I'm stuck with my job. Guys, if you're really family who love each other, we'll celebrate with each other, won't we? As much as we'll weep with each other, we'll celebrate with each other, right? So here's what I want us to do, guys. If you don't mind, whoever, whoever's here, if you want to share, I want you to share a story or a quick little bit of Thanksgiving. I'll, I'll walk to you with a microphone, or I'll actually get Danny to do it. Daniel, will walk to you with a microphone and just raise your hand. And if you have just a victory, a Thanksgiving that you want to share, maybe something happened at work, something happened in your family, something's happening in your life, something happened with your friends, in your neighborhood, maybe somebody's accepted the Lord, whatever it may be, 
If you have a bit of Thanksgiving, you just want to share with us and we can celebrate Thanksgiving together, raise your hand and, let, and just share it with us for the good of, of the church. Good morning. Good morning. Um, my name is Courtney, and for several years now, I struggle with um, self-harm. I'm a cutter. And today is day 63 that I have not uh, cut myself. Praise God. Amen. Anybody else? And this for the good of the people that we're sharing this. Not just for celebrating, because it's good for you. It's good for you to celebrate together. But it's also good for us. We want to celebrate too. I want to dance a little bit. <laughs> so, uh, because of the time change this morning, I was able to get up early enough to go out and go for a jog, which was great because I've been really stressed out, and that helps me just kind of wash that stress out. But I really felt like God was just teaching me to abide in that moment. And uh, so during my run, I just like kind of came upon this. I've run this loop a million times out of our backyard, but I came upon this spot and it was just like gorgeous. It was just amazing. And I was able to just kind of stop and walk and catch my breath and say, God, you're, you're amazing. So um, I was very thankful for that. Yes. I just want to thank God for people like Courtney who are willing to tell stories like that in church because that's a taboo thing that nobody tells anybody. But when you stand up and actually say, hey, I have depression, I have anxiety, I have, I'm a cutter or I'm suicidal or anything like that, then it gives you a platform so that somebody else who might not have somebody to talk to all of a sudden can go, hey, now I have somebody to relate to. So I just praise God for people like Courtney who are willing to stand up and say, hey, God is healing me from this, and he can heal you too. Who else? We gotta have more stuff we're thankful for here, guys. So I'm an RA at Chapel Hill, and this is pretty simple, but last night was a really rough night on rounds, and I had to hold the phone the whole night, and I was just praying last night that I didn't have to deal with any other phone calls or anything else, and I was able to sleep through the whole night and get up this morning and come here, which just made me so happy, and it was like just a little blessing um, that really, I never don't get a call, so it was just amazing. What else? What else are we thankful for right now? What is God doing? Hi, I'm Stacy. Um, a little nervous. Uh, a year ago, this time last year, I was in the emergency room twice. And I had um, been experiencing heart palpitations and rashes and explainable things that were happening to me over time. Thought I was having a heart attack. Turns out I was having a, something called histamine intolerance um, that happens after sometimes you have a round of antibiotics gone wrong. And um, just lots of searching, lots of praying, talking to different doctors. This whole year has kind of been a process, but I'm very thankful to say that this time, this year, I'm healed 
from that completely in. <laughs> Truly, it's a miracle. Amen. And I'm very thankful for that. Anybody else? I'm Jung Long, I'm 87 years old, and I'm glad, thankful that I can be anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm thankful that I can still drive. That's the main yeah. thing. <laughs> and uh, I'm so thankful to see so many young people in this church <laughs> and with children. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. My name is Ruby Beelan, and I am thankful, truly thankful, and praise God for this church, Waypoint Church. It is a blessing to walk through the doors and see so many young people. It needs to be a news media here because they're thinking all the young people are in trouble or something is going on. If they put a, a camera in my face, I'm going to say, come to Waypoint Church. You want to see the young people, come here. I praise God for the young people, for the parents that's got all these children, and I thank God for every face I see every Sunday morning. Waypoint, the Lord is blessing us. Mm. Amen. Hi, everybody. Um, this is my first time here, but um, I wanted to share a story that's pretty important to me. My mom has bipolar disorder, and she's been having a really hard time. And my family and I have become so much closer, and I'm so thankful that every day we are like working together to help support her, and that God is giving us enough grace, and he's giving us enough patience to deal with everything that happens. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys for sharing. Thank you for sharing stories of thanksgiving, of victory that's not victory that we fought for, but victory that was given to us by Jesus. Thank you for being a part of the story of God's glory. I mean, ultimately, guys, I want you to hear this. In, in times of lament and times of thanksgiving, God receives glory. And that can only happen because God is the author of this incredible story, meta-narrative that brings in both lament and thanksgiving in together and weaves it together so that when we dance, we give him glory, and when we weep, we give him glory. So don't neglect dancing. I mean, that's something that's been happening, right? Sometimes I feel like in our somewhat, you know, somewhat kind of individual culture where we don't express too much emotion sometimes, we forget to show that we can dance. And you can dance if you want to. You can leave your friends behind. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, just, I had to. I had to do that. <laughs> Guys, um, as we, it's been so good to dive into songs because this is where we get to dive into this depth of human emotion. And one of the things I want to express really quickly, and it won't take long with this, is that in Psalm 1 and 2, we had kind of our orientation into what human life was supposed to look like, godly life. It was our orientation into kind of like godly living comes by knowing the word, by exposing all the emotions. But then comes Psalm 3. Right away from godly orientation to what we're supposed to do for godly life comes disorientation, comes lament. 
And there's a season of lament. This is just so practical to life, isn't it? As we go through life, we hear a good message or like, okay, this is how we're supposed to do life. We just went to a parenting seminar, my wife and I, this past weekend here at Waypoint. It was awesome. And for those of you who were there, you guys, you guys weren't there. You guys missed out. It was an incredible parenting conference. And my, my wife and I were like, okay, we're going to do all of this stuff. And we're going to be like these awesome parents who only operate out of representative parenting and only show grace and gospel parenting. And then literally, like, the next day, I'm, I'm like, yelling at my kids and totally forgetting all about it. <laughs> like, oh, dang. Okay, remember, remember. That's what happens in life, right? We get oriented, but something happens. Lament happens. Sorrow happens. Something happens in life. And all of a sudden, we're disoriented. Right? We knew which way to go. We thought this is what we're doing, but all of a sudden disorientation comes. Can I tell you what Psalms of thankfulness does, what being thankful does for us, it reorients us. Back to where we're supposed to be. Lament teaches us, it disorients us, it intentionally kind of rocks us and shows us our need for Jesus. But thankfulness in the midst of victory, thankfulness in the midst of God accomplishing and moving in your life, it reorients us to where we're supposed to be. And I love that. I love all of it, how it's done in, in the set of corporate worship in the body of believers together. So that as we come together, as we hear this beautiful testimony we heard today, that we can say that's our testimony. And we can share burdens together and be family together. This psalm that we read to you today, Psalm 34, is a psalm of David. I love the introduction to the, the psalm. You guys read it? Because you put that on the screen. Psalm of David, regarding the time he pretended to be insane. Right? Do you guys know that story, anybody? It's kind of a popular story, found in 1 Samuel. David's running away from the king. So David's in this position where he's trying to escape. He was this awesome warrior for King Saul, but King Saul's jealous. So he's running away, and he goes to, of all places, the Philistines to escape. Which is crazy, because if you guys know anything about the most famous story about King David, is what? Yeah, who was a Philistine? So he just, he defeated the Philistine champion. He's the guy who was like, they wrote songs about how many Philistines David killed versus how many Saul killed. So he's running away for his life, but he had nowhere else to go. So he ends up going to the land of the Philistines. And as he's brought forward to court, his, his method of kind of escaping, his method of being like, what in the world am I going to do? Is he acts crazy. Like, absolutely insane. He must be a really good actor too, because he just goes, the king's like, oh, I don't want to mess with this guy. The king flat out says there was something traditionally, culturally at the time about, you know, you don't mess with an insane person because it would be bad luck to you. So he said, just let him go. This can't be the David who killed Goliath. Not this guy. He, this guy's insane. And so in the midst of being rescued from Saul by going to the Philistines and being rescued from the Philistines, David writes this psalm. Now, I don't have time to go into this whole psalm. But I just want to give you a little bit of information. Do you guys know, this, this is some ac for academics in here, Psalm 34 is an acrostic. Right? An acrostic is basically every, letter, every line of the psalm starts with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Really cool device. Um, I believe it happened for two reasons, and the scholars that I read about, they believe it happened for two reasons. It's done this way. One, because Psalm 25 and Psalm 34, both acrostic psalms, bookend this kind of section of psalms, with his focal point being Psalm 29. Another reason that I believe this acrostic exists is because it's a great way to help memorize a psalm. You guys know like a mnemonic device? Uh, kings play cards on fat green stools. Anybody know that one? Nobody knows that one? Am I the only one? Is that like a Florida thing? How, how else did you remember the classification system like kingdom, phylum? Anybody? Say that again? 
drinks chocolate milk. Anybody, how else do you remember, memorize that? Kingdom, phylum, play cards, class. <laughs> Say that again? Okay, kings play chess on fiberglass sets. Fiberglass. King Philip came over for good sushi. Okay. Anybody else? How else did you memorize that? Wait, one more time louder. For green soup, see? I always had kings play cards on fat green stools, but. All right, how about this one? Um, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. What's that for? Order of operations. Does everybody know that one at least? Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. All right, good deal. How about uh, rice when you're treating a sprain? Uh, sprain? What's rice? Anybody? Good job, guys. It helps you memorize things. And I believe this is a psalm that was meant to be memorized easily. The people of Israel wanted, the, the King David and the people of Israel wanted to memorize this psalm, wanted the people to memorize this psalm. Why? He says, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is it who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Guys, can I tell you this? And This is my one point that I'll make and before we have to stop. And I just want to hear this. I want you to get this. Is that one of the greatest reasons we have to be thankful in the midst of any circumstance is this. Is that no matter what happens, we're able to be thankful because we fear the Lord and we're loved by the Lord. Now let me explain what that means really quickly. I, I, just, I, I don't have time to dive into that really deep, but I just want, to hear, I want you to hear this. That it literally says the beginning of wisdom is fear and fear of the Lord in the book of Proverbs. And here it says that fear of the Lord is something to be taught, something to be wanted, something to be desired. Why is fear of the Lord so important? What does it mean to fear the Lord? And why is it something that's desired? Why is it so important that we want our kids to know? Why does that lead to Thanksgiving? How in the world could fear lead to Thanksgiving? Doesn't make any sense. And let me explain to you really quickly that the fear of the Lord is something that we often could try to use the word awe. You know, instead of fear of the Lord, it's awe of the Lord, right? I'm in awe of you. But can I tell you, I feel, that doesn't feel enough for me. I like the word fear. Now, not in the way of like, God, you're going to beat me up. God, I'm so scared of you beating me up. But fear in the sense of God, if you wanted to, could do that. It's like when I went to the Grand Canyon. Gina and I went to the Grand Canyon. And I've heard rumors that everybody says, you've never seen the Grand Canyon until you've seen the Grand Canyon. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Okay, whatever. I've, I have a good TV, so I've seen the Grand Canyon. <laughs> we went to the Grand Canyon, and I kid you not, it, it really is. It's absolutely breathtaking. But not only is it beautiful, somebody like me who already hates heights, it is absolutely terrifying. Like, absolutely terrifying. I was scared of riding a ski lift, like 12 feet off the ground up a mountain. I was like, that, that scared me. So could you imagine how I felt at the Grand Canyon? And at the Grand Canyon, there's spots where there's absolutely, it's like this, right? There's no rail, and I can literally walk up this high, but instead of like two feet, it was like a bazillion feet, exact number. And can I tell you, I was so afraid and to my core. I was shaking. I was shivering. I was like, no way would I ever get, I'm, I'm, I'm back here. I'm nowhere near that close. I'm like, rocks could fall. Wind could happen. Uh-uh. And I'm looking out to it. I'm just shivering. At the same time, I'm like, I can't take my eyes off of it. It's incredible. It's glorious. It's majestic. But I'm so afraid. Guys, 
God is like the Grand Canyon. Do you understand that his power is so much beyond you? I love C.S. Lewis in his Chronicles of Narnia. Has this, it's been used numerous times, but when the kids are told about Aslan, the youngest daughter, Lucy, says, is he safe? And he hears that it's a big lion. And the response they say, he's, is he safe? No, but he's good. Guys, do we understand that our God is not safe? He's fear. He drives us to fear. He, we need to be moved to fear the way Isaiah cries out, woe is me out of fear. Now, can I tell you why that's so important? Because if he's not worthy of our fear, if he's not powerful enough to drive us to awe and fear, then he's not powerful enough to conquer all the sin and trouble and all the issues of this world. If he's not powerful enough to be worthy of our fear, then he's not powerful enough to defeat Satan and all his devices. If he's not powerful enough to drive us to this place where, oh man, you are so much bigger and more powerful and your justice is so good, I have to be afraid of you. Then he can't be all justice and he can't, be, he can't compete and defeat the powers of evil in this world. We need a God that terrifies us but that terrifying is met with such incredible mercy and justice that he has actually allowed to be known. And here's the beautiful intersection of that, is at the cross, this fear of God is met with the beautiful mercy that he gives and intimacy he allows us to have. Guys, um, I, used to, I love playing basketball, pick up basketball at UF. Right, when I was at UF, I went to the gym, and that was my favorite thing to do is play pickup basketball. And the thing is, you always wanted a good teammate on your team because if you won the game, you get to stay on. And sometimes if the gym got really crowded, you would lose, and you have to wait like three or four games to play again, and you hated that. You, had, you get downs, after second downs, third downs, anybody? Know what I'm talking about? No, okay. So you always wanted the best team. So I'd always, you know, a group of us guys would always come together. So we'd, we'd kind of like evaluate the court. We'd all be like, court number one was the best court, two, court two, three, four, whatever. And so we'd play, and sometimes like, oh, we'll play court one today. You know, see how it goes. Well, we're playing on court one, and out walks uh, one of the UF basketball players at the time, a guy named Orion Green. And you guys have no idea who he is, but if you're a UF fan at the time, he was like, well, the UF basketball stars. Guy could jump through the roof. And he comes out, he's messing around, and usually the UF guys won't play. They'll just shoot around, they'll mess around. But then he's like, I'll play. Who's got next? And I'm like, and I first watched him, and I'm like, oh man, this guy's gonna play ball. And then he says he's got next. Then I'm like, oh man, who's got next? Wait a minute, I got next. He's gonna be on my team? Yes! I was like, we're gonna win. Got it. You see, here's what happens is when you're, you have somebody that's so much greater than you, but he's on your team, your confidence level hits a whole new level, doesn't it? I can start talking trash now. <laughs> I'm like on court one, oh, you guys aren't going to beat us. We're too good for you. You know, I got orange on my team. I can say that. See, guys, do you understand this? And I want you to understand this so powerfully. Here's why we can always be thankful. Here's what we have powerfully in our corner always. is the God that we fear, the God that's not safe, the God that's all-powerful, the God that can conquer sin and death, the God that can speak a word and the world and the planets are thrown into creation, the God that can stomp us out like that, the God that can defeat all of it. Man, he's on our side. He's on our side. So that when the issues and the problems and the troubles of the world seem so overwhelming, when the issues and the problems and the troubles of the world seem like they can never be defeated, you always 
can stop and say that God that, inst that instills such fear, he is in charge and he's on my side. Do you get that? Do you get that? At the cross, we have this beautiful intersection of mercy and justice coming into play. I know in times it's hard, it's easy at times when you, everything seems to be going well, you just got your new job or, you know, the kids are behaving and doing well in school and you can be thankful. And those are times that we need to be thankful. But can I tell you that our thankfulness that we need to walk in every day is so much more powerful than whatever circumstances occur in our lives right now. Because we have on our side the God of the universe. And because of the gospel, because of the gospel, that we have something that can never be taken away. And because of the gospel, we can always be thankful that mercy and justice, that the fear, awe-inspiring one that instills such fear is also the one who knows and counts every hair on our head. When we, when I think about thankfulness, when I think about us being thankful, I, I just want us to start as a church family from that starting point together. That we have thankfulness because of the gospel first. And every good gift that comes after that is just enjoyment of the Father. And every hard thing that comes together is a chance for us to know him better. It's kind of like, oh, Lawrence, that doesn't seem right. That's like a win-win for you guys. Yeah, it is. I'll say that again. It really is. Is that if you have that understanding, that kind of relationship, that even when bad things happen, you can still say, hey, this is still good because my suffering is going to lead to glory. And when good things happen, you can stop and say, thank you, God, for the good things that are happening. And it's always a win-win. And that's what the gospel does. That's what Jesus paid for, that we always have a win-win. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the win-win. We thank you for the gospel that allows us to face each and every circumstance knowing that the God of the universe is in our corner and because of him, even the bad and even the hard, even the suffering leads to glory. And because of him, the good we rejoice in and give him praise for. So help us to live in the reality of our win-win. In Jesus' name, amen.